You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of James. We're going to be again this morning, James chapter 1. We're going to be diving into verse 9 here in just a moment. Again, if you have to use the table of contents to find that little book, no problem, no shame in that. James chapter 1. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to use the Bible in front of you. And actually, you can even keep that. It can be yours. Take home and use it. Read it, love it, live it. Um, that would be awesome. I remember uh, about, our daughter was, I guess, about two and a half years old. Uh, Lauren and I have twins and our little girl, Caroline Tate. Uh, she went, two and a half years old at this time, but, or when this story happened, but I was driving uh, back home, and the way our, our neighborhood is, you, you pull in and pretty quickly, like, t- almost do a U-turn almost, back into our, uh, to our driveway. Well, as I was pulling back around into the driveway, I went ahead and just kind of out, of out of habit, reached up and hit the garage button. But as, right as my finger was touching the button, I looked up in the driveway and saw that Lauren and the kids were right there at the garage door. Well, right as I touched the button and like in, in my gut knew I shouldn't hit the button, right as I touched it, for some reason, Carolina Tate, our little two and a half year old girl at the time, grabbed a hold of the handles on the garage door. So sure enough, she starts going up with the garage door. I'm trying to hit the button. Nothing is happening. And I just see her. She's, all I see is the back of her head, but she's holding on. Her head's going like this, just looking around, and, uh, which I find out later she was going, mama, help, mama, help, mama, help. Which luckily, well, because my instinct or my thought was like, just, just let go of the garage. Like, just let go. But she just kept going up. Luckily, Lauren was right there and quickly uh, swung into mom save the day mode and just grabbed her off of there. Of course, when I pulled, uh, finally pulled in, they're all laughing. I got out of my Jeep and Carolina Tate said, Daddy, I rode the garage door. I was like, yeah, now we don't have to go to Disney. <laughs> like, that's, that's awesome. If you, if you grab a hold of the wrong thing, it'll take you somewhere you don't want to go. If you hold on to the wrong thing, you will end up hurt. In James, he's, we're still in this context, kind of this umbrella idea of, of trials, of, of difficult times. And if you, if you look at it, really James is trying to move us. He's been taking us on this journey in chapter one from verse two of consider it a great joy. And he's kind of taking us on this journey to verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials. So he's saying, consider it a great joy when you experience various trials, my brothers and sisters. And he's giving us some tools, so to speak, some resources, so we can consider it a great joy. And so we can arrive at verse 12, where he says, blessed is the one who endures trials. So what we're going to see in verses 9 through 11 is he's kind of giving us some more tools, some more resources to endure trials, to, to make it through hardship, to make it through difficulty, whatever those things may be. Every single person in this room, in some way, shape, or form, is touched by a trial this morning. Maybe, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's, it's you, but all of us experience these. Now, in verses 9 through 11, he really he addresses two people. He addresses rich believers and poor believers. And I want you to know this morning, the, the point is not for you this whole service to sit and try to figure out, now, now which one am I? 
Am I, am I a poor believer? Am I a rich believer? I would tell you this, as Americans, like the vast majority of us, like probably all of us in this room, compared with the rest of the world, you could say you're rich. Like that's, maybe you've never been told that, congratulations, you made it, right? Like, but, but compared to the rest of the world, you could say we're probably all pretty rich, but I would also tell you, you're, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, the way you feel, whether you're rich or poor, often depends on where you are and who you're with. So like, there are certain neighborhoods that we could drive through in Lubbock that I would be like, bro, we are not rich, right? Uh, you could go to, to Newport Beach in Orange County, California, and l- drive around there and see some of those homes that we would quickly realize probably none of us are rich comparatively, right? But then I remember back a few years ago, got to go to Nairobi, Kenya, and Got to visit a slum. The name of that slum is escaping me right now, but got to visit a slum and was quickly overwhelmed and maybe even a little bit, I don't know if it's like burdened by the difference in wealth. Meaning like, I felt like the richest man alive. The reason I tell you that is all of us as believers, there are going to be times we're just in the, the moment you're in, the people you're with, you, you feel like you, you've got it made, like you're rich. There's going to be times for all of us where you feel like, man, I, I, just don't, I don't have anything compared to what they have. So it's not so much which, which camp do you land in. It's that James is going to give us tools whether, for those days that you find yourself being rich and those days that you find yourself being poor. He's going to give us perspective and resources and tools for both of those situations. Y'all tracking with me there? So what are they? What does he give us to hold on to in hard times and seasons of difficulty? Let's read verses 9 through 11 together. It says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. The sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. I want to look at first the the rich person James is talking about, which really begins in verse 10 where he says, but let the rich boast in his humiliation. So rich, uh, uh, no doubt he's, he's mostly thinking financially here, but even just to give it a little more context, like, understanding, rich in the world's eyes that you have it all. That it, the average person was to look at your life, the things that you have, not just material possessions, but even just the, the connections you have, they would look and say, that, that person has it all. Like that person has it going for them. They, they are rich by the world's standards. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. You know, we, it seems funny because the Bible talks about humility. It's like, is James telling us to be prideful? What does he mean here by boast? The idea is that you take pride in, you glory in, which still may seem a little vague. I think I would translate that like to, to a 36-year-old. I mean, you find your identity in. If you're going to be proud of something, if you're going to find your worth in something, here's what it is. So that's what it means by boast. Not that you're walking around pounding your chest, but you find your worth, your value, identity. You, you, you take pride in this. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. 
This is not humiliation like you're embarrassed. Like now if you're rich, when you get embarrassed, be really proud of, proud, proud of that. Like that doesn't make sense. No, humiliation as in you're a person of little significance. Now for the rich person, for the person who has it all, where everything's going for them, that seems odd, right? Because it seems like the rich person would, would not be humiliated. Like everybody wants to be them. They're, they are of significance, and that's why people want to be them. So what does he mean by humiliation? It's that because of your identity in Christ as a believer, you've, you've come into the family of Christ. You are of the same significance as everyone else. You needed just as much help spiritually as every single other person. Just like the person to your right, to your left, just like the person down the street from you, just like the person on the other side of town from you, just like the person in Nairobi, Kenya, in the slums, you had to come to God for a spiritual handout. Because you can't prove your goodness to God. You can't come to God and like, well, if I tithe enough, God will love me. No, we are indebted to God. We have nothing we can give him. So I love that song we just said, what else can I give a king? Like I, I spiritually, I'm spiritually bankrupt. James is saying, you boast in that. And that while you are of little significance and have nothing to offer the king of kings, he saved you because he is a God of love and grace and mercy. So even if you have all the stuff that the world would want to have and you're a rich person by the world's standards, you boast in, you take pride in, you glory and you rejoice and you find your worth, your value to go back to the, to the introduction. You hold on to the fact that you have relationship with Christ. Here's our first point. I, I would say it this way. When you feel like you have it all, delight in the one who gave his all. When you feel like you have it all, Delight in the one who gave his all. And, and note, you needed him to give his all. As much as you may have, none of it impresses God. God's never like, wow, you are, really are so rich and so good looking. You know what? I think I'll save you. No. But you, you needed him to die on a cross for your sins, for I needed him to die on the cross for my sins. And, and not only did he, did he do it, he, he, it was his pleasure. Just reading in Isaiah uh, 54 and 55, like, it was his pleasure to come and die for you. So delight in him. Why is that so important? He tells us in the text, he says, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. After the summer we had here in Lubbock, I don't have to do much unpacking on what that verse means, do I? Like how many of us... Did some, did some work, you paid somebody, whatever. You put some flowers and some pots outside your house and you're, they look so beautiful. You're so excited. Like, look at that, man. Yeah, it looks great, right? And a few weeks in, you're like, I'm, 
If you're like me, you're like, I'm watering them. I'm trying to take care of them. And they look like trash. Like, what happened? Anybody else there? Is it just me? Am I just, okay, they got a few. I got to appreciate that. I guess you guys are, y'all come to my house to fix our flowers, okay? <laughs> like, or or you, you see flowers just driving in a field. I, I actually, the, the context, you're thinking about a Middle Eastern context, very common to, to in the morning see some beautiful flowers in a field in the valley and by high sun, they're scorched, they're gone. They were, they were beautiful. They had some flash, they had some pizzazz. They were eye-catchy, but it didn't last long. It's perishing. He's saying, if you, the danger of finding your worth, your value, boasting in, taking pride in, glorying in all the stuff that you have or your status is that it's, it's fading. I, I just, I've seen some high, a bunch of high schoolers congregated over here just thinking about, in the rest of the room, y'all can help me out if this is true or not. Like, I think about some of the status and fame that people ha- may have in high school, like the cool kids, whatever that means, and how like maybe six months after high school, no one cares. <laughs> I mean, most people don't care in high school, <laughs> but, but it's so fleeting. The people that seem to be on top of the world, like even just by ni- age 19, like no one cares that they were whatever in high school. And that just continues through your life. It just, it fades. And even if people do care, the reality is it does perish. And if it doesn't perish on this earth, it will perish when you go to heaven. Or we talk about believers here, so we'll stick with heaven. <laughs> but even the person going to hell, they, they lose it all. It, it perishes. And he says, while pursuing his activities. So you, this man, this woman, they're, they're busy. They're, they're chasing after life. They're, they're staying healthy. They're exercising. They're eating right. They're going and buying nice things. They're trying to do all the right things. But even while they're busy pursuing their activities, maybe even distracting themselves, it's all just perishing. It's all fading away. I love what Sam Albury points out. He says, other kinds of wealth are no more durable. Good looks quickly fade. Sporting and academic prowess are soon displaced by the next wave of talent coming through. Relationships that looked and felt so dependable can fall apart astonishingly fast. So maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I, I for sure am not rich, so this isn't a struggle for me. Yeah, but maybe you don't have like, maybe not making it rain like financially rich, but maybe you just have like what the world would say is a lot of good things that make you rich and like, like good looks or talent or whatever. And that's dangerous too. I have some friends who, they didn't like planting flowers every summer or whatever and just because it doesn't work out well. So they decided to go the fake route. Planted a bunch of uh, fake flowers in their, in their flower bed. And I was asking them, hey, what's, like, what's the disadvantage of that? Or is that better? Was that better? They, said, they started laughing and said, no, it was for sure not better because one, people come to your house and go, oh, by the way, you got a bunch of flake flower, fake flowers in the, in the yard out here. <laughs> or they were saying that, you know, like a couple months into summer, all, all the petals have begin to fade. So it, it looks a funny color. Or uh, I didn't think about this here in, in Lubbock, it's so windy, it would blow the, the petals off. So then there's just these petals lying around in the yard that aren't dying. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So, so fake is not a better alternative. Relying on status, looks, talent, clinging to that in a storm for value, for worth, to hold on to, doesn't work either. Delight in the one who gave his all. You can hang on to him. You can, you can sink your roots deeply into him. So the rich person is tempted to hold on to lots of wrong things. The poor person, I believe, is prone to feel like they don't have anything to hold on to. Look back at verse nine. He says, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Some translations said that the lowly brother. The idea is this is someone at the bottom of the pecking order. They, they don't have much wealth. They don't have status. So they're undistinguished in power and position and esteem. And I think for the, for the poor person, it, it can feel, and actually and sometimes in reality, it, it's what you're, it's, it's, it's real. In reality, it's real. There's a deep thought. <laughs> Your reality is that the world can seem like it's passing you by. Like, like that no one even cares, no one notices because you're, you're, just, you're just a nobody. It says, let the brother of humble circumstances boast, again, glory in, take pride in, find your worth, find your value in his exaltation. So a high place is James schizophrenic. Like what is going on here? The humble, the low person boast in their high exalted position. Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? What is he talking about? He's referring to the humble person, the, this low person, this is their brother, they're in, they're in Christ. He's referring to their position in Christ. That regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the value that the world would want to place on you and say, this is how much you matter to us, regardless of that, you are exalted. If you are in Christ, you're exalted with him. You have a relationship with him. You are in him and he is in you. And that is a big deal. That's what James is saying. You boast in that. You you're going to find worth, you're going to find value in something, find it in that. And just to give it to some context, man, in Matthew and Mark, we see that if you are a child of God, regardless of how much you don't have on this earth, you've been brought into the kingdom of God. In Luke, we see that Jesus died for you. He saw enough value in you that he died for you. John says that he calls you a friend of God. Acts, we see that we are given purpose and power, purpose of being a witness to how good Jesus is and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and be a witness. That's an exalted position. Romans says if we are in Christ, there's no condemnation for us. So no matter how sinful and wicked and messed up we, even, we are, not just like how we were, but even today, how much we may struggle, there's no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus paid the condemnation. He was the condemnation for us. He bore it on the cross for us. Corinthians teaches us that we are no longer sinners by definition, but we are, by, excuse, we are saints by definition. 
I saw something the other day. It was like, how to become a saint. And it was like this, this long blog of like, or just believe in Jesus, right? Like, it's not a bunch of to-dos. No, you trust in Jesus. And by definition, you are a saint. You have a relationship with him. The book of Galatians teaches us that we don't have to work and do all these things, but because of Jesus, our status in him by grace through faith, we are set free from the shame and the shackles of sin. Ephesians tells us that we once were dead and following the devil in the ways of this world, but now we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Philippians says that we aren't just citizens of America, which I'm a proud American citizen, aren't you? We are proud citizens of heaven, that that's where we actually belong, that we're just passing through this world. Our true citizenship is an exalted position in heaven. The book of Colossians tells us that we once were alienated and cut off from God, but he has made peace with us through the cross. And it's not just that anyone has made peace. Right before Paul tells us that in Colossians, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. He describes Jesus as the supreme one, that he's the one who holds the universe together. He made it, it's all for his glory. And him, Jesus, he died for us to make peace with us. <clears throat> Thessalonians says that he is the one who sanctifies us, that if you are in Christ, he will finish what he started in you. First and second Timothy tells us that he is the everlasting king and we are part of his kingdom. Titus, Titus tells us that we are God's elect. Philemon tells us we are welcomed not just as slaves, but as sons and daughters. And the book of Hebrews right before James tells us that because of Jesus, we have access into the throne room of God and we can come boldly to him regardless of our worldly status, regardless of what doors may be shut on in our faces on this earth. We get to come boldly before Jesus, before God, because of what Jesus has done for us. And James, building on all of that, says, you boast in that. <laughs> that is something to be proud of, that you know Jesus Christ, that you are in him and his spirit is in you. That God, he didn't just make you, he loves you and he sees you. It's our second point. When you feel overlooked, delight in the one who sees you. When you feel like no one in this world cares about you, that you are a nobody because you don't have the right clothes, because you don't have the right friends, because you're not part of the right group at school, you delight in the fact that the God of the universe sees you. and He saw you enough to come and die for you on a Roman cross. He sees you. Sees you. <clears throat> I have here with me today, affectionately known as Old Bunny. We also think Old Bunny may have started COVID-19, so <laughs> just want to give you a heads up there. Stay away from the platform today. Maybe don't shake my hand. I don't know. That's why I sound like I do. <laughs> This is uh, our daughters. I wanted to use a, a metaphor with Haddon since I started talking about Tater, but there's just, this, just old bunny's too perfect for today. 
uh, Caroline told Lauren this morning, I can't believe daddy's preaching on old bunny. I'm like, I'm not preaching on old bunny. <laughs> I'm using old bunny. Uh, this, our daughter's had this since she was probably, I don't, where's, uh, I don't know, a month old, four weeks old, yeah. Um, old bunny smells. <laughs> like, I can show you picture after picture. This, this thing has, has traveled the world with our daughter. Well, I mean, you know, not the world, but you, she goes everywhere with her. Um, she gets her nose, the commentator wipes her nose with her, uh, wipes tears. She looks, so she, believe it or not, I don't know if you can tell, uh, she used to be a, a white bunny. Um, and she used to, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say she may use, like, she may have been twice this size at one point. Like, she just got smaller and smaller, partly because our dog likes to take old bunny from Carolina Tate. And then, like, she's had surgery. Like, our, our friend Carrie has uh, sewed old bunny up a few times. Our friend Miss Pam has sewed old bunny up a few times. Um, but we, she's not going to let her go. When we go on vacation, if we go back to, to Florida to see our family, uh, and if someone's staying like, at the house with our dog, Carolina Tate will ask for videos. How's Old Bunny doing? Can I see a video of Old Bunny? So like, our friend Julia will put Old Bunny at the window watching the snow. Hey, Carolina Tate. Like, like, she loves this thing. I've even tried to, I've tried multiple times to buy a new bunny to replace old bunny. And new bunny is snuggled with for about 10 seconds. And then she's like, where's old bunny? <laughs> can't, can't get rid of this thing. She looks like she has mange. <laughs> she is seriously disgusting. Like, the, like I, if I, I, I would, I guarantee you, if I just left this in the hallway and you didn't, I hadn't talked to all this, about all this, you would just, you wouldn't pick it up. I don't think you'd pick it up. And if you did, you'd be like, hey, where's our maintenance team? Can we put this in the trash? Like, or is there like an incinerator somewhere? We, we don't see any value in this. But there's someone, our, our little girl, who loves this bunny. How many of you this morning, you, you feel like in the world's eyes, you have zero value? I'm not trying to be, maybe like you like maybe even had somebody like, man, you, you stink, what's your deal? Like, or like, hey, where, where'd you get those clothes from? Maybe you've had to have a lot of surgeries, even like literally or metaphorically, like to, to fix some things, and you feel like nobody cares. Someone loves you. Jesus loves you so much. They have somewhere to come and to offer, ah, No one can replace you in his eyes. He's willing to fix you as many times as he has to because he loves you. When you feel overlooked, you delight 
in the one who sees you. You boast, you glory, and you rejoice in your exalted position that the King of Kings knows your name. You may not be invited into any big fancy meetings, but the King of Kings invites you to dine with him every single moment of your life. I love, I feel like he, James is kind of building on, you don't have to turn there, I'm gonna be very quick, but he's kind of building on an idea in Jeremiah chapter nine, where he says, this is what the Lord says, the wise person should not boast in his wisdom, the strong should not boast in his strength, the wealthy should not boast in his wealth, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands me and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. If you're going to boast in something, if you're going to hold on to something when life is hard, you hold on to the fact that you know Jesus that the King of kings, the Lord of all, the one who holds the universe in his hands, he died for you and dwells in you and loves you more than you could ever know or imagine or express. You know God. And see, it's interesting, really, I gave two points this morning, but really James has one point. So it's really one idea and it's this. Don't anchor your worth to the world, but to the one who created the world. He's saying the same thing. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether today you feel rich, but tomorrow you're going to feel poor, vice versa, whatever, you anchor your worth to the one who created the world, not to the world. You, you anchor it to Jesus Christ. You can hang on to him. He will weather any storm. No trial is too difficult for him. If you want to be able to get to verse 12, be able to say, I've stood the test, then you hang on to Jesus, no matter what life throws at you. Don't depend on your wealth. Don't give up hope that you have nothing to hold on to because you're poor. No, you cling to Jesus Christ. You don't anchor your worth to the world, but rather to the one who created the world. How do I do that? That would be a whole other sermon, but I would say this. Make it a topic of conversation. Like literally boast. Like go sit down with a friend or family member and boast in, glory in, take pride in that you have a relationship with Jesus. May even turn out to be a witnessing opportunity. I don't know. But you, you sit down and you boast in Jesus. So talk about it. Second thing I would say just quickly is let the Bible show you how awesome he is. Read it and you will begin to, to love it. You'll love him and you'll begin to live for him even in the trial. But it starts with just letting the word show you how incredible he is, that you can cling to him. And then a third thing I would say, ask for help. God, I know I need to cling to you in this trial. I know I need to delight in you. I know I need to take pride in my relationship with you. God, would, would you help me? I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Would you help me? Would you keep me close? And as you do that, as you hang on to him, you're going to find he can weather any storm.
Don't anchor your worth to the world. Anchor it to the one who created the world. I'm going to ask our worship team to, to come on up. So we're going we're gonna to sing in a moment just about who Jesus is. And maybe as a believer, you just want to stand and sing and rejoice in who Christ is and that you can cling to him. You can anchor yourself to him. You can hold on to him in a trial. So I invite you to do that. Maybe as a believer, in a moment during the song, you just want, would like some prayer. And there'll be some folks back at the coffee center and back at the welcome center that would love to pray with you, just encourage you in your faith. Or maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ. You've never placed your faith in him and trust his finished work on the cross on your behalf. And there's some folks back at the back that would love to pray with you, talk with you about what it means to, to trust Christ, to, to put down the shovel of trying to, to, to work for your salvation and trust that Christ has done it for you. Come to him by grace through faith. However God is leading to you respond, we're going to trust that you're going to respond boldly. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. And since I'm done praying, we're going to stand and sing and respond. God, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, thank you that we can cling to you in a trial. Lord, help us not to rely on what we have, not to hold on and find hope and to distract ourselves with the things of this world, but rather to, to know that that is all sinking sand, that you are our only hope, that we cling to you. Lord, on the other side, I pray that we would, we would never give up hope, we would not feel like we should give up because we have nothing to hold on to, but rather we would know that regardless of what we don't have here, we have you. And you are good and faithful and tried and true. May we anchor ourselves to you, Jesus. May we hold on to you. It's your powerful, wonderful name that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 